When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast from Literary Hub, where we believe that every issue in your Twitter feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature. I'm Vivi Ganeshanathan, also known as Sugi, author of the forthcoming novel Brotherless Night. And I'm Whitney Terrell, author of the novel The Good Lieutenant. You want me to mention Tom, who's sitting here right next to me? (laughs) I think it's like such a good, I was just going to treat it like Zoom bombing. For our guests who are watching this on Zoom, Tom! there is there is another guy. We normally have three different guests in different places, and we record the intro separately. But now, Tom happens to be in Lyon, where I am right now, where my wife is teaching in a study abroad program, and so we're doing this podcast together from our 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 my apartment on Vincennes Cour Franklin Roosevelt. In uh, Lyon, France. And this is why, despite the fact that I have scads of French relatives, anytime that any French ever appears anywhere in the podcast, it is assigned to Whitney to say, because I will just butcher it. And, okay, Mr. Fancy Pants, welcome to the show, Tom. I <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed. You think Whitney butchers French? You should hear me. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's I don't know if you've noticed being in France and all, but it looks to me like one of our branches of government here in Yield, United States, has gone completely off the fucking rails. I have. And, you know, there were a bunch of signs up in Lyon actually about the Dobbs verdict um, right after it came out, which was uh, only just a couple days ago. We're recording this the weekend or like the Tuesday after that verdict came out. Um you know, and French do, they actually love and care about America. And as Tom and I were talking about, the French kind of are the Americans of Europe, and they hate it when you say that, but it is true. Um, and, you know, when the Supreme Court, our new sort of rogue branch of government, overturned Roe v. Wade, they immediately took note. Uh, I don't think I've seen them more disappointed and worried by an American decision since we invaded Iraq. Um, and I was here when that happened as well. It's even worse than electing Trump. I mean, overturning Roe is just a terrible decision, but it's even more troubling that the court seems to be acting in a radical and lawless way. Like, the legitimacy of the court is, I think, really what we're starting to talk about, the or what we should have been talking about all along, too. The Dobbs verdict shows that the justices themselves misrepresented their positions to members of Congress and to the American public during their confirmation hearings. Like, you can see... Um, reporting about this all over the place, the people reminding us what they said. They don't value precedent. They've also severely curtailed New York's ability to regulate guns using logic that seems to contradict the logic they used in the Roe case. So let's just go ahead and cherry pick from logic. That's how it works. And they simply got the facts wrong in an opinion that overturned decades of precedent regarding school prayer. And you have a justice, Clarence Thomas, who is now claiming that the logic of the Dobbs decision should be used to examine and possibly overturn past cases protecting Americans' rights to access contraception, to to have the uh, right to gay marriage, and to have sex with whoever they want. And do you know who I blame for this? Do you blame—could it, it be Jenny Thomas? Because could it be 
Could it be Jenny? Because the Supreme Court Justice's wife, who tried to aid in a bet in the fraudulent insurrection of January 6th, she's my go-to for blame these days. Yes, I blame her, but I, but I more seriously, because I, I expect that from her, to be honest, but I blame the Democrats, my team, me. You know, the raft of court decisions that it, it is what it looks like to lose politically. We lost. We lost the court. We lost power. And now the people we lost to are using the power they gain in ways that are totally predictable. We knew that Republicans would behave this way, given the chance. But I want to talk about how and why the Democrats gave them this chance and what our elected representatives should do now to fight back. And do that, we're going to talk to Tom Frank. Oh, I forgot to put in his bio. <laughs> Fuck. A, nobody, nobody wants to no, know No, no, no. Look at... Tom is, Tom is such a regular on this show. <laughs> no, no, no. We just break and like get it from his website. Just read it from his yeah, website. Can I just say it? Yeah. Uh, went, Tom, went, we've, Tom, do your own bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Frank, he's from, he's from Kansas City. He went to college. Uh, he started a magazine. He went to graduate school uh, and then wrote a bunch of books. You like that? Well, Is that okay? It's good, yeah. That makes you different from everyone else well, we've God, ever had Tom. on the show. That's fine. Thank, thanks for finally pitching in. Jeez. <laughs> and so we're thrilled to have you here to talk to us about this topic. Um, welcome to the show. This is like your is this your third time on here? I think so. Yeah, yeah but this is the only time I've been on anything from uh, from Lyon, France. Yeah. So I'm an old hand at it now. This is like our third episode that we've done since I've been here. All right. So the Democrats control the presidency and both houses of Congress, and just in the past couple of weeks, the country's entire legal framework has shifted to the right in an extreme manner. And there seems to be nothing that Democrats can do about it, or nothing that the Democratic leadership at least can do about it, other than read a poem as Nancy Pelosi recently did on the floor of the House and then asked for more donations. How did we get here, Tom? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, you know, I, I really want to talk about this, but before I do, I should, I should preface everything by saying, so when I wrote What's the Matter with Kansas, which is really about, you know, this movement that has now, you know, triumphed, I didn't think they would overturn, I didn't think they would overturn Roe v. Wade for the simple reason that I thought... You're going to laugh at this, or maybe you're going to agree with this. I thought the Republican Party were hypocrites on this. Yeah. You know, I was writing about Reagan and George Bush Sr., and it was published in the George Bush George Bush II era, you know, Bush and Cheney. And I thought that these people didn't really sincerely care about the culture wars. Uh, I thought that they were using the culture wars to advance other priorities. You know, the Republican Party. We, we grew up around these yeah. people. We know what they're like. They don't they don't care about uh, about uh, you know, uh, 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 Roe v. Wade or school prayer or or any of the rest of it. what they care about is cutting taxes. Yeah, the country and dere- Republicans <laughs> yes, that we dere- grew up around. Well, those people, those I mean, They're out so, of power. I know something happened to them. <laughs> they uh, a lot of them became Democrats, and this other and and like the modern you know the Republican Party was overtaken by a man who I would I regard as like the greatest hypocrite of all time, a kind of modern Caligula, right? You know, <laughs> Donald Trump, and. And this is the guy that gets it done. It's yeah, just like it, it's it, crazy. It, it it is it is there are you know this is a literary podcast so I can say this there are so many layers of irony here. I mean you need a Nabokov to do justice to this <laughs> shit. You know this is yeah you just turning to me is is like a pathetic you know you need you need some of the great names you need Anatole France on here you know. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So you are both in France, and France passed a law protecting the right to abortion in 74, which is close to the same time that Roe was decided. And I'm wondering, you know, why didn't the U.S. ever pass such a law? And wouldn't that have been safer than leaving this to the court? We've had plenty of periods in the past during which the Democrats had enough votes in the House and the Senate and controlled the presidency to pass such a law. Why not? I wish I knew the answer. And I know you're looking at me like, there's the guy that studied this all these years. And I I actually do not know the answer to it. I would assume that it's because uh, they want to fundraise on it. But that's that's such a cynical take on this. I you know they also had they, you take for example Barack Obama who was elected president promised to do something about this, and actually had the like really large majorities in in Congress. But probably it was probably a low priority because you had Roe v. Wade and and Roe v. Wade was like it was settled. It was regarded as settled law. I mean, as we're now going to, we're now going to find out why, by the way, we're just embarking on a great national mission of discovery to find out what happens when you take something that's really fundamental to how you understand the country and you yank it loose and throw it away because it, they basically said you don't have a right to privacy. That's not in the Constitution. And there are so many other things that are also based on that. And we're all about to find out. Uh, I and I think uh, you know, but that's... I think it's political fear. There's like I look. You think about about times when people thought, okay, look, we can rely on the court to take care of this for us, so we don't have to cast a hard exactly. vote that yeah. might mean that we don't get elected next time. Yeah, right. But that's been going on since the '70s, right? Because mm-hmm. there are many, many other times. I mean, like it could have happened during the Clinton presidency. You know, we could. And remember, up until recently, fairly recently, the Democratic Party had a uh, uh, had an anti-abortion wing. Uh, in fact, one of the members of that was Joe Biden. Uh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and so it was. It wasn't as easy as we think. But Obama could certainly have done it, and they could like. I'm going to say the Obama people are not talking about that a lot. Yeah, no. And there, and then there's other, there's other, like, there's also tactical mistakes that were made along the way. I mean, many, many, many of them. For example, losing the election of 2016, not campaigning in Wisconsin. You know, but we've all, we've all been over all that. We all know that. The thing is that they could act now. I mean, it's an emergency now. And they could act now and they could, you know, uh, you know, uh, I know they have to overturn the filibuster to do this, to get any any kind of law like that passed. But if this is the issue where you need to do that, I mean, this is it. This is this is all hands on deck. This is, you know, this is the emergency that they've been warning about ever since I was a kid. Here it is. Uh, let's do something, Democrats. So this is the moment that's going to where they have to call on all their resources and all their inventiveness and, uh, you know, all their creativity. And the, the really sad thing is, guys, is I, I don't see anything yet now, but I want to give them time. I think that they will, or they, well, okay, I don't want to be the most uh, optimistic guy on this podcast. But, hey, that'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I say, I, th- I think that they will, uh, 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 
I think that you'll see, I mean, the, the Republicans just handed the Democrats an enormous issue. You know, in some ways we're, we're I'm sorry, tell me when I need to shut up, by the way. Do I need to shut, shut up now? No. I'll so, interrupt Whit- you when that happens. Whitney and I were talking about this yesterday, <laughs> and, and, you know, not only did they, uh, they call the Democrats bluff here, you know, the Democrats have been talking about this is their central issue. They've been talking about that for a very long time, and now it's like, well, let's see you, let's see you do something about it. Let's see you, you know, mobilize the army and, and, uh, and, and, get, get, and get moving. But it's also the Republicans have basically, uh, their bluff has been called too. I mean, all these years, so this is what I wrote about in What's the Matter with Kansas. You had this little dance that the Republicans would do where they would play footsie with the anti-abortion people, but they would never actually give them power. And Reagan was the master of this. Uh, And he had all these advisors who wanted him to go all in on um, the culture wars, and he wouldn't do it because he didn't really care about that. This was a Hollywood, you know, sort of dandy. And the same with the same with the the two uh, Bush pair and Bush feasts. You know, uh, uh, that was pretty good French pronunciation. That's (laughs) maybe the best I've heard from you. Yeah, these are all country club guys. This was not important to them. But now look what's happened. They've, they've, you know, it's the the dog that caught the car. They got it. And now they own it. And they've got to, you know, they've, they just, like I say, they're on the wrong side of a 70-30 issue. And we're going to see them. I don't know. This is going to be, I mean, we are heading into the battle royal of all time here. So failing to pass uh, the law um, protecting abortion rights is, is one issue. But I also want to, a lot of people on, on podcasts are talking about what they can do now and how they can do. But I want to talk about how we got here, right? Which is partly because we got here because Democrats can't win elections in the Midwest and South. And that, to me, is the biggest and most frightening change and the one that has happened within my lifetime, right? If we had just won a few Senate seats in a couple of states in the Midwest that we used to be able to win, like Missouri, which is the state that I live in, this would not be a problem right now. We would never have had the issue of, of having a packed Supreme Court, you know? So Can I just throw out there, Harry Truman's Missouri? Yeah, that's a Democratic state, right? Originally at one time. It was, used to be. (laughs) When you wrote the book, What's the Matter with Kansas in 2004, which is why we're having you on here in in, in certain ways, and because also you've been writing about this issue for your whole career, you were talking about the playbook that Republicans were using to win votes in the Midwest. I think many of us know that argument because it's entered the culture as a familiar thing. But just in case we have listeners who aren't familiar with that book, can you give us your... Pre-see. Yeah. So the 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 argument uh, at at its core was about this sort of grand shift, this social sh- sociological shift that's going on, where the party of the left is no longer really concerned with uh, uh, issues of of work, labor, working class issues, and the party of the right is winning over working class votes, and that has become. I mean, that was somewhat controversial when I wrote when I wrote the book. I mean, it was extremely controversial, and there were all of these sort of uh, newspaper columnists and and bien pensant liberals who denied that it was taking place. But now it's obviously has happened, and that's the uh, th- that's the key. The Republicans have shattered using the culture war issues have shattered the old um, New Deal coalition, whereby you know w- in which working class voters were by and large were Democrats. So they you know, vote just- for they vote for Republicans for. I mean, this is I'm going back to the book like force. Because we're going to sell them on social issues like abortion, yep. right? Yep. And then uh, and then we're going to screw them on the actual economics of the way yep. that they govern. Yep. yep. You know. Well, I mean, that's 
all that is obvious. I mean, that, that is what's happening, and they are being screwed. Yes, right. and that was the sort of the great mystery behind the book was like, let's try to let's try to puzzle this out. How's this happening? And I, I really did try. I, you know, I don't want to say like I have the answer. I think I do have the answer. But what's funny is that the phenomenon that I described. It has gone. It, it it just goes and goes and goes. It gets, now we're it gets, at the end. It, goes, it, get, it gets worse every that. year. I mean, yeah. no, it's going to get worse still. I mean, Sugi, you're in Minnesota, am I right? Yes. Minnesota, the only state that Walter Mondale carried in 1984, the home of Hubert Humphrey, is now a battleground state. Wisconsin, which is, is devastatingly <laughs> bad for the Democrats. It's like, how do you do that? Wisconsin is now a battleground state. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Missouri, of course. And being a Democratic state was like critical to. I looked, I found this out a couple of years ago. The state motto of Missouri is the "Show Me State," and this comes from. Oh, the, right. If if you go back and look at where this comes from, it's like some speech that a, that a guy made, and in this in the speech he says, "I'm a Democrat. You know, I'm from Missouri, and frothy language does not satisfy me. Uh, you've got to show me." But it was a partisan state motto because the state was so deeply democratic. So Kansas City, when we were kids, I lived in Kansas, which was always Republican, and and Whit, Whitney here lived in Missouri, which was liberal. That's right. That's right. And now Kansas is the only. I mean, Kansas because it has a Democratic governor actually yeah. is. Kansas is, is actually look, looking pretty good these still. days. Yeah. 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 So in in 2004, when your book came out, and and even still in 2008, when Obama first ran for president, Missouri was considered a bellwether state, and that meant it usually voted for whoever won the presidency, whether they were a Democrat or a Republican. And Missouri had a Democratic governor, Jay Nixon, as, as recently as 2016. And now Missouri is just a red state. Is that? Yes. That's why. That yeah. And, and wait, the, the most outrageous example, Missouri is a good one, but the most outrageous example is West Virginia. This was... I mean, hey, I know a guy who is a politician in that state. He's completely <laughs> pissing me off right now. He said a lot of really helpful shit after Roe had been overturned. Like, oh, I, I am disappointed. I'm disappointed <laughs> yeah. as well. Oh, they, his, Brett Kavanaugh lied to me. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> that guy. I know. Uh, anyhow, but uh, West Virginia was, when we were kids, was not only democratic it was like outrageously yeah. democratic it, it, this is one of the states that carter carried dukakis carried it uh it was you know all these it was very heavily uh, unionized you know very very working class place and just here in the last 15 years it flipped slowly at first and then and then suddenly and uh, and now when you talk to you know usually i'm not in france usually i live in washington dc and which is is not Okay, I'm, I was going to make a joke and that, that didn't work. But when you talk to people about this in Washington D.C., they act as though West Virginia, West Virginia being a Republican state, that's just normal. I know there's, no, there's nothing you can do about that. No, like, you know, I that's mean just, that's just what those people are like. No. You know? there's nothing well, you can Joe do. Manchin's I grew, the only kind I grew of guy up in. Could win. No, ahead, I grew so up in Maryland. Losing. I I grew up in Maryland, and that's horseshit. <laughs> Like, but yeah. well, you, you and just... I know it's horseshit, right? Because because yeah. it's, it, so 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 Sugi, I'm going to blow your mind here. I used to study history, and when when you when you like when this is your you know this is how I evaluate things. I say, well, you know, was it always this way? 
and I know this is a really, uh, you know, really critical, uh, critical thing to say. It's a really imaginative way of taking on an idea to say, was it always this way? But you know what? The, the, it's a really funny thing. When you look at it, it wasn't always this way. And then the next question is, well, why, why not? Well, I want to talk <laughs> what about happened? that. What happened? That's what we're doing this podcast to try to figure out. So, I mean, I feel like if, I've had conversations with people from both coasts recently you know, about, okay, why are Midwestern Southerners so bad on this issue? Why did they allow this to happen? Why don't they vote for Democrats? And they, and here are the reasons that I get, okay? And Sugi, you can tell me if you get other ones, right? They're poorly educated. I'm like, thank you. That's helpful. That's going to really win votes. They're racist or people in rural areas are too religious, right? But now, wait, wait, there's all of these have something in common. It just hit me. What? In all three of them, it's not the Democratic Party's fault. Yeah, that's what I want to get to. Like these are ways of avoiding that that the Democratic yeah. Party's done a bad job of getting votes in these yeah. states. But yeah. I still want to go through each of those like concepts, right? So first of all, the lack of education part. Yeah. So that's that's. Uh, can we curse on this? Yeah. Well, that's, 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 isn't, that, isn't that one such bullshit? I'm going for the first so, ever explicit plus rating. Okay. <laughs> the. Uh, but that's the that's the huge like class divide now is people with a college degree versus people. What without they really it. mean is they weren't educated in an Ivy League school yeah, or a really yeah, great school like we I went to, to. You know what we need to do is we need to open. We need to open County Community College. We need to open Princeton's in every state. You know, yeah. Princeton should branch out and like make it free. You know, and all this stuff and like really really water down the value of a Princeton diploma. But at the same time, then the Democratic Party would start winning again if this theory. Okay, so that theory is horseshit. There was a time when Democrats easily won the votes of people who who hadn't graduated from high school that was it it was it was easy okay next it might really help just to say <laughs> yeah, to, to to talk to them and, and if the give Democrats them an issue that they would care maybe about maybe have some people involved in the democratic party and leadership who didn't go to yeah. ivy league schools yeah. and who did go to schools at places like minnesota yeah. or michigan or or missouri anyway uh, all right, Sugi, do you want to, you, you and I have talked a lot about the, the race issue in the Midwest and the way that people think of the Midwest monolithically, you know, as not being diverse. Do you want to talk about that one a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly like here in, in Minnesota and like in the Twin Cities, there's also this sort of like rhetoric about, um, you know, who lives in rural spaces, like the notion that those are, you know, uniformly white or that they're homogenous in some way, which I think we've talked about, as you say, we've talked a lot about on this show. That's, I mean, that just seems like it's not true. Um, has, and you know, if we use Tom's test, has this always been true? Um, like you can go pretty far back and find people of color in rural spaces. Um, that's not news. And so like that too strikes me as an excuse. Um, I, I, can I throw I, in there? So, oh, sorry. I please. should let you finish first. No, 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 uh, please. You, you can, you can also find lots of, of, politicians who are very liberal on exactly this issue coming from those places. That's, that's not unusual. You think about the three, who are the three Democrats who did the most on civil rights. It's, it's Harry Truman, it's, it's Hubert, hum, Hubert Humphrey, and, and it's Lyndon Johnson. All of them are from these places. Yeah. Uh, right, right. There's also like a strong social justice culture, right? Like, and that's that's in part coming from like the the culture of like European heritage that is actually specifically like it's like it's very Scandinavian actually like that's actually an influence you can you can interestingly see in the social justice organizations that are here like I don't know like human rights advocates or um, the Center for Victims of Torture like these are all things that 
flourish here. Like we have the largest, like we have such a huge refugee population. We have like these huge populations of immigrants and that has been true for like a pretty long time. And so I think like, again, you know, this is, oh, so like this is not Democrats fault. And like, I'm also curious, I've been reading maybe just the past two days, these stories about how maybe one was in the Washington Post about something like a million voters across the country or maybe more have switched their registration from like the sort of swing suburban voters have been switching their registration from being Democrats to being Republicans. And so there are people sort of like coming up with different analyses for why that is. The articles that I have read, I have not found like super convincing or thoughtful. And I'm curious about what you think about that, because I feel like that is actually a thing that might be happening here. I like read this article and I was like, just, I don't know, I feel like walking around like my neighborhood or going just a little bit past the Twin Cities to the Burbs and being like, what are you, what are you guys thinking? Why would you be doing that? And then there's like, Right. There's some people who are switching their registrations to throw Republican primaries off in some way or to like vote for more moderate, like for to, to try for like strategic reasons. Or that's what that's I'm one always theory. confused. I haven't heard those stories. So that's a new one. I, for I, me. But I, I have. But I've never met anybody who, who was actually doing that, you know. Exactly. And I don't know. But then, then I also think like that can't that doesn't account for. And these articles are not saying that it does like it doesn't account for all of that switching. Right. So in some of those cases, like a couple of these articles that I were reading, like people, the people interviewed were offering up things like, oh, like the Democrats talk about race all the time or um, it doesn't seem like they're dealing with. Right. Like it's the economy, stupid. Um, so all these things that are not Biden's fault, like a baby formula shortage or um Gas prices being right. hiked yeah. well, are being laid at his feet. For some economic things, that's for sure true. There were also people switching from Republican to Democrat during the Trump administration. I think that happens because an administration is in power and then isn't doing that great and people switch. Maybe. Did, did I ever tell you guys the story about uh, – I did. I think it was on your podcast. We talked about Johnson County, Kansas – which is a place that Whitney yes. and I have both mocked in print at great yeah, length. That's true. And it's this very, very wealthy suburb of Kansas City. And it, uh, it, it has been Republican since forever. When I was a kid, Republicans controlled all the offices. Their entire delegation of the state legislature was Republican. And if you looked up the history, they had voted for the Republican candidate for president every time going back to 1916. And they, they just flipped for Biden. They went for Biden. So this is like this is a landmark thing, but this is this is happening in the sort of wealthy suburbs. and the woman who's the congressional representative from Johnson County, yep. Sharice Davis, yep. who's a woman That's right. of color and very good politician. All right, so the last so wait, wait, reason so that, that, go ahead. Sorry, I want to ask, but like, so this is what this these articles are saying that like these suburban voters who helped Biden to win are like leaving him. Ooh, and. Well, that would be bad for it, him because well, the Democrats yeah. are counting on the suburbs. So yeah, they, they certainly are. And if, but if the, if the R's nominate Trump again, then that's that's not going to be a problem. <laughs> He's driving those people away. I, I wonder what you guys. Well, let's not talk about Trump. Okay, we're going to take a short break here, and we'll be right back. We're gonna. Well, okay, the last thing is people don't won't vote for uh, in the Midwest and South for Democrats because they're religious and because. The people there are too religious and, they, and Democrats are not religious enough. What do you think about that? I, I personally don't think that's true. I think that Democrats, I think that like Democrats have won. Clinton was, believe it or not, like won religious votes. I think Obama, you know, did a good job with that. I don't know why that would be an issue at this point. The only thing I can think of is the what, the, what saying someone's too religious is sort of like code word for they're too friendly to 
LGBTQIA rights, right? But we also see the polling on that nationally. And like, even in rural areas, I think that like people are not really jonesing for the end of Obergefell and, and end of gay marriage. I think that's a social issue that the Republicans are driving, but that isn't a national issue. In the Yeah, the, I don't think... I think there's so much confusion around this. Yes, people are... Uh, a lot of Americans are very religious. That is That should not surprise anyone. The uh, uh, you know, and their religions are, as we all know, and Kansas City, my God, it's a, if if you were a sociologist of religion, it's the most wonderful place to study. I don't know about the Twin Cities, but it's probably also pretty damn good, you know, good place to observe this sort of thing in action. And uh, a lot of people are, um, how do you want to put this? They are, uh, they don't know how to deal with a form of liberalism that is always couched in uh, highly academic language. Okay. And uh, like the I, principles of liberalism work with Christianity. Yeah, of that's course. That's where, that's, of course. That's, where, well, that's, where, that's where it comes from. If they could it, use the ter- language of Christianity to talk yeah. about liberalism, yes. it's totally possible. Exactly. Well, this Take is, care of the poor. Yeah. Give money away to people. If you have too much money, that's the, you know, like uh, it's easier for. Uh, uh, I mean, that's the grounding of the, of the welfare state is, is in that, in that yeah. species of Christianity. Anyhow. It's easier. I, what is I, it? Does it see how fit a camel that, through the eye of a needle than it is yeah. for a rich man to get into heaven? I mean, that's a that's a proverb. Uh, they, oh, they, the, I don't know. This, the Supreme Court just deleted that. I don't know if you know. They, oh, exi- they? they excised they that. No from, that got redacted out. Okay. So, Tom, we were hoping you would read a passage from the last page of What's the Matter with Kansas? Because that's got a prediction. And you know, and you are. You you are very fortunate because I actually have it on my laptop, which I brought with me to. Leon for exactly Excellent. this reason. So it's yeah, you know, this is the very last chapter of the book, and it's after I've described uh, I've described all of these culture wars and how they manifest on the ground, what they look like, what the people who are partisans of these things, how they think, how they talk about the world. They're very angry. They're very bitter, uh, and it. One of the things that would always come up when I was doing this research is my liberal friends would say, yeah, they've gone too far there. They've gone too far, and it's got to tip back the other way, this, this sort of pendulum theory of politics, which somehow nev- the pendulum never pendules. You know what I mean? It never goes waiting. back the other way. We're still waiting for it. So this is my, my sort of my way of dealing with this. I say, maybe Kansas, instead of being a laughingstock, is actually in the vanguard. Maybe, and this is in 2004, remember, so I wrote this 20 years ago. Maybe what has happened there points the way in which all our public policy debates are heading. Maybe someday soon the political choices of Americans everywhere will be whittled down to the two factions of the Republican Party. Whether the moderates in Kansas still call themselves Republicans by then or have switched to being Democrats, which they have done now, won't really matter. Both groups will be what Kansans call fiscal conservatives, which is to say friends of business, and the issues that motivated our parents' Democratic Party will be permanently off the table. Sociologists often warn against letting the nation's distribution of wealth become too polarized, as it clearly has in the last few decades. Societies that turn their backs on equality, the professors insist, inevitably meet with a terrible comeuppance. But those sociologists were thinking of an old world in which class anger was a phenomenon of the left. They weren't reckoning with Kansas, with the world we are becoming. Here's here's where it gets good. 
Behold the political alignment that Kansas is pioneering for us all. The corporate world, for reasons having a great deal to do with its corporateness, blankets the nation and the world with a cultural style designed to offend and to pretend subvert. Sassy teens in sketchers flout the man. Bigoted church-going moms won't tolerate their daughter's cool, liberated friends. Hipsters dressed in t-shirts read, reading FCUK snicker at the suits who just don't get it. It's meant to be offensive, and Kansas is duly offended. The state watches impotently as its culture, beamed in from the coasts, becomes coarser and more offensive by the year. Kansas aches for revenge. Kansas gloats when celebrities say stupid things. It cheers when movie stars get sent to jail. And when two female rock stars exchange a lascivious kiss on national TV, Kansas goes haywire. Kansas screams for the heads of the liberal elite. Kansas comes running to the polling place. And Kansas cuts those rock stars' taxes. As a social system, the backlash works. The two adversaries feed off of each other in a kind of inverted symbiosis. One mocks the other, and the other heaps even more power on the one. This arrangement should be the envy of every ruling class in the world. Not only can it be pushed much, much farther, but it is fairly certain that it will be so pushed. All the incentives point that way, as do the never-examined cultural requirements of modern capitalism. Why shouldn't our culture just get worse and worse if making it worse will only cause the people who worsen it to grow wealthier and wealthier? You want to hear any more? No, you that's good. <laughs> okay. You weren't kidding about that being the part where it got and good. I talk about the wreckage of the Midwest. Isn't that... It, it, it's... it's uh, it, I wish I was wrong about that stuff, but here we are. <laughs> well, okay, so the Dobbs decision and the gun rights decision and possibly the forthcoming EPA decision, which may come out before we even get this podcast published, um, has taught me three things. One, we shouldn't have relied on the court to produce, protect crucial rights like abortion. We have done that for a long time instead of using electoral politics. Demo two, Democrats need to win more Senate seats and more House seats so they can pass laws protecting these rights. Laws, not court decisions. And to do that, the Democrats are going to have to win votes in the Midwest and South. That's it. I feel like all these other discussions, like, okay, we're going to expand the court, we're going to do these things. Maybe. But the easiest way is to win the votes that you used to get, you know. And I want to talk for a little bit at the end of this podcast about how they can do that. So far, Democrats have only shown that they can lose votes in the Midwest and South. And during the last 15 years, that's all that has happened. What could they be talking about in terms of politics and policies that will win votes here? It's definitely not me. It's definitely, definitely not me. You I'm, you're the guest. Okay. Well, <laughs> sh well, short answer, they, the, the short answer is they might, they might just have been, that might have just been handed to them. The, I mean, the Republicans have really stepped in it this time. Uh, uh, you know, this is, 
the, you know, the, the, it's like I say, it's a 70-30 issue. Uh, this is going to mobilize voters all over the country. The, this is a movement. The, the uh, you know, the abortion rights groups are extremely well funded. And, and there, are, there are still enough, you know, uh, brilliant minds on the Democratic side that they, you know, they could rise to the occasion. That's the short answer. The well, short answer is that's already... true. But we did get here by not winning right, by not... Like we still, exactly. There are still exactly. some things that we must be doing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I would assume for you, it's like, okay, for me, it's like, could you maybe talk about farm policy? Every no, no, oh, no shit. We're, sorry. Could you care We're, about the economic <laughs> futures of small towns? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what Whitney said. That's what What's the Matter with Kansas was all about. It's like these people are, you know, they're watching their way of life, like their economic way of life, the you know material way of life be destroyed. And the Democrats go to them and say, you know, look, that's just inevitability. That is the hand of, of God. God wrote NAFTA. You know, God wrote PNTR China. This is, you know, this is oh, globali- globalization, you know, yes. and uh, there's nothing you can do about that. But it's a, it's a funny thing. It turns out, you know, if you think about it, there are all kinds of things you can do. And just brushing these people off and telling them that their concerns are, you know, are, are outmoded or that they don't understand the complexity, it's just stupid. Their way of life is being destroyed. It's the easiest. We're all from the Midwest. It's the easiest thing to see in the world where Whitney and I, live, you know, Kansas and Missouri, you go into any small town and you can see it. I, I'm sure Minnesota is, 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 is getting that way. But here's the freaky thing. I just spent, before I came here to Leon, I spent about a week and a half in Provence, okay? Very rural part of France. And every day I would get up in the morning and I would walk down to the, to the village. And this is a village that's very, very small. It's from the Middle Ages, very beautiful, very scenic. And it had, uh, that's right, it had its own bakery. It had its own, uh, uh, you know, a butcher shop. Uh, it had a, uh, a, you know, person that sold cheese. None of them have been put out of business by the local Walmart. And there, you know, it, the people there would tell me, no, it's not, it's not as healthy as it used to be. But I'll be damned. This is a tiny, tiny town, and it still has all of these businesses in it, and it has, a, it has a certain amount of vitality. All I'm saying here is, it can be done. The French have done all of these things to preserve the culture in agriculture. You know, because they like their food, they care about their food, they care about what they eat, they care about how people in small towns live. And they have preserved all that. It doesn't have to be the way it is in America, where we've just destroyed these people's lives and then say, oh, too bad. You know, that's that's God. You know, there's nothing you can... That's, that's the invisible Wait, hand. That's yeah. The, that, who's the invisible hand guy? That you well, that was Adam Smith. Yeah, but it's, it's Adam it's, Smith it's, and he's often, he's, taken, he's often... His name is taken in vain. All that, right. Sorry. That, yeah, yeah. The, Wait, the, but, the, Sugi, <laughs> I want to ask you, because Minnesota is late to this process of becoming a red state, right? And I sort of feel like... One of the reasons is that actually small town life in Minnesota has been relatively supported and like maybe that deterioration of small town life and like the possibility of living in the countryside and also education spending, which Minnesota has been serious about, is only now just starting to set in for your state in a way that it already did in Missouri. I can't say that I that I like have spent a ton of time in rural spaces in, in Minnesota. I've spent some time. Um, Sort of, but I think like you know to just give you an example. Like I remember moving here and um, talking to one of my neighbors, one of my former neighbors, um, who's an elected official here, was like kind of giving me the history of progressive and like democratic politics here in 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 the state of Minnesota. And 
she kept referring to, to the DFL. And I was like, I do not know that acronym. Please explain this to me. The DFL is the Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party. <laughs> that's what it is. That's it. Yes, that's po- that's populism. That's it. That's the great tradition uh, of the Midwest. Great Midwestern radical tradition, still alive and well in Minnesota. Right, and it's like deeply entwined with right. Like it's in the language, and so like you know, here I was this outsider. Like, I I don't speak this. Like, tell me how the Democrats do things here. And she was like, Oh yeah, it's been like this for a really long time. And you know, these are these are the the roots of the Democratic Party here. And so like, farmer and labor. It's like right in the main name of the party and i think like if we have held on to if we've held on to votes here i think that probably like that history and those roots have must have a lot to do with it um and you know sort of beyond that there's like a lot of a lot of writers who are are interested i think in exploring like both like the changing demographics of the cities but also beyond that and i'm looking forward to kind of seeing i think that we're gonna see some writing coming out of those spaces that will also help to to contextualize it but i would i would say like you know the dfl dominated politics here for so long like to such like this the person who was explaining this to me was like the republicans are nowhere and i was like that's great i love this i'm so happy to have moved here what a sensible what a sensible approach I'm, I don't see this anywhere else i just don't hear that from the democrats on a national level no. i just don't yeah you know, and by the way, I just want to say quickly, I'm sure that there'll be people who will be like, hey, there's two uh, people in France talking to us about Midwestern lives. So hearty fuck you to those people who say that uh, my grandfather fought here in the First World War. And this is a useful country for thinking about, you know, like differences and different ways that America can do things differently. Um, and I do think that the rural, you know, like the, you know, like France has its own political issues. We're going to do a podcast on that later. But Rural France is really kind of amazing in comparison to America. It's a way of doing it different. Like uh, rural America is in an absolute state of desolation right now. And the Democrats need to be speaking to it. And I don't hear them doing it. Um, that's one thing that I think they could do. What are, what are other things? Are there any other? Got any other oh, ideas? Oh, come on. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Tom. Yeah. I've, fix I, I, America. There's, the, uh, there's, a, there's a million things they, they, that, that they could and should be doing. But, uh, uh, you know. Look, I was. Well, I was give a, me a couple. Come on, let's hear it. I want specific ideas. Well, look, I liked a lot of the things that Biden set out to do. The the, the sort of uh, massive infrastructure spending. You yes. know, a lot of the things he was going to do. Those are those are great ideas. But you, you you just have to look back to the Democrats' successes in the past. One thing they could do uh, that. You know, what that, about what about making um, broadband work in small towns? Of course, towns, that's which important. Doesn't work you, at all. You want to make you want to make uh, education affordable. That's very high on everybody's list. Uh, you know, uh, look, right now we're in we're in deep problems because the price of gasoline, because inflation in, in other prices is uh, this, this is really going to hurt Joe Biden. But if you talk about the long term, what the Democrats have to do, we all we all know what they are. You have to make you have to stop sneering at people. Of course, you have to make education more affordable in this country. So you don't have this incredible problem of, you know, a, a generation that is being buried under student debt. OK, you know, which is like re- really alarming. You have to bring, uh, you know, uh, 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 manufacturing. Uh, back into America, you have to make small towns viable again. And when you talk to Democrats, it's like, oh, there's nothing you can do about that. And it's like, yes, actually, there is. It's you it's not hard this. to figure yeah. out how you how you do that. Yeah, you can do it. Uh, you know, the an- short answer is you start enforcing antitrust again. I mean, Walmart should not be allowed to 
you know, when I was writing What's nice. the Matter with Kansas, they, 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 you put a Walmart in a certain place and they put everybody out of business for a certain radius. And it's yeah. something like 40 miles. That's the thing. It's, I, it's, I was taking pictures of my block in this town of Lyon right now. There are all these little tiny stores. There's a store that sells socks. There's a store that sells knives. There's a store that, like, that sells keys. Sells keys, right? But those are stores that are employing people that are doing things that aren't put out of business by some giant box store. Yep, yep. Yeah. And and like like I say, France has France has a lot of problems. But you can look at the other democracies and see that there are different ways of approaching these things. Um, and you know, the, look, the, the Biden. I don't want to be too negative about Joe Biden because he's appointed a lot of really good people, really smart people. It's just wow. The uh, uh, he's not ag- being aggressive enough with Congress. He needs to start jamming stuff through. He needs to get his agenda enacted, and he needs to lead on this abortion issue. He needs to get out there. Uh, can we talk about one one really ironic thing? I love talking to you guys because you understand irony. That our modern Caligula, Donald Trump, our, the Nero of the 21st century, is the guy that, that got Roe v. Wade overturned. And the guy who's now has to lead the sort of defense is, is Joe Biden, who's a kind of classic Irish Catholic, you know, Paul from, yeah. the, old, from the old days. But he's got to step up. You know, this is, this is the time. And... Um, Anyhow, we're going to see what happens. But uh, yes, the, 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 the short, I, mean, I told you the short answer, the slightly longer answer is that whole agenda of things to make working class life, you know, profitable again. So that ordinary people, when the economy booms, they do well. You know, not just Jeff Bezos, you know. Like unions. I mean, yeah, of course. Sorry, I, I, I haven't talked about this for a long the time. The presence <laughs> of the AFL and CIO come into yes. his office in the White House, and it, when he first moved into office, and I saw the article on the front page of the New York Times, and it said these guys had never been invited during the Obama administration to the White House. And I was like, why? Uh, that yeah, that's something of an exaggeration. Maybe they, that was wrong. Yeah, but it should but, be. But that's obviously you got to make unionize, unionizing, forming a union. You have to make it easy in America again, and there are all sorts of ways to do that. But the filibuster is a problem. Here's the thing, though: with a little creativity, with a little intelligence, and a little boldness, Biden could uh, could could act on everything I just described. Uh, and and make himself a beloved figure, where as Obama could have done. We're going to see. I would only also add that this is an incremental process. Yes, Biden can do these things, but the Democratic Party needs to like try to win like three percent more votes in Mississippi and Missouri and Iowa than they did last time, and then the next time win like six percent more votes. They have to actually spend money on races in Missouri and Iowa, even where they're going to lose, because they realize they can't oh just give yeah. up on states. Yep. Yep. I was just in rural Kentucky, and that's they talked about this all the time. You know, they, these are seats that Democrats used to hold. These are seats that are winnable. You know, you look at people's problems, but the the National Democratic Party is sort of is in the grip of the ideology that you described at the at the start of this program. And the, the National Democratic Party just does not does not care and will not spend the money. Um, just don't care. I have one. Last thing, Sugi. Do you have anything you want to add in here? Because Tom and I are just going off. I apologize. Yeah, I, no, it's I'm, my fault. I, I'm so sorry. Sugi, no. we, have new, we have great news about you that we're going to say at the very end here. I already said at the beginning of the last podcast. Oh. But um, the last thing that I wanted to point out is like, can we just cons- possibly conceivably put people from the South and Midwest in positions of power in the leadership of the Democratic Party? Could it not no, be? No, I'm sorry. A woman from San Francisco and a man from New York? Could it not be that? Could it not be that? 
Nobody in Missouri likes Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer. They don't give a fuck about those people. They know that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer don't give a fuck about them. How are we ever going to win votes with those people running the party? It's not an accident that Obama had parents from Kansas. It really That's fucking right. helped him. That's it, you. You are exactly right. And he was from. Wait, and he was also a state politician in Illinois. Yeah, he it knew. Makes a he difference. knew about. He knew about farm issues, uh, and he was able to talk to. This is the last. I mean, nobody remembers this. He beat Hillary Clinton in Iowa using this in in 2008 using this top secret strategy of going around and talking to farmers, and because he knew their issues. They loved it. It significantly matters to people if the politician is born in the region that you're talking about. Yeah, and knows something about it. But then as president, he then proceeded to do absolutely zero on the the issue, and that was that. Well, Whit, you've been hammering Tom for specifics, so I'm going to do the same to you. If you are going to appoint these Midwestern, Southern folks to positions of power, like you're essentially asking who is the Mondale Humphrey of the day, uh, like who are you? Who are you? who do you want to see up there? Who do you want to well, see? Well, I think Emmanuel Cleaver, who's my representative oh, from yeah, Kansas like City, oh, that's interesting. who's a, a really great black politician, who was the first black mayor of Kansas City, who should have power, and he is—I don't know why he doesn't have it, but I'm sure he'd like to have it, and I'm sure he's not in control of whether he gets it or not. And the the presidential candidate should be Sherrod Brown of Ohio who is really good on all the issues we just described, and it, it, it totally relates to ordinary people. He's a great, great man. So every time I read an article about Sherrod Brown, or really anything about Sherrod Brown, I'm always like, I like that dude. Didn't he like say that he didn't want to? Yeah, he said he doesn't want to, but I mean, well, who are they going to run next time? It, let's assume it can't be Biden, uh, you know, because of the age thing. But maybe I'm wrong, maybe. But then, then it's like, who is it? Who, who is it going to be? That's, I mean, yeah, that's be what I'd like to know. That's what I'd like to know. Because, I mean... Pete Buttigieg is from the Midwest. (laughs) Oh, my God. It really does. Pete Buttigieg held a a fundraiser in a wine cave, which is not going to win any hearts. (laughs) That doesn't doesn't help. At least it wasn't a wine cave in France. People from the Midwest still make bad decisions. (laughs) Whitney and I have to to wrap this up so that we can go to a wine cave down the street. Yes. Joking, joking, joking. No, 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 no. You You spoke of the village cheesemonger. And I must say, like that whole anecdote, I was like, this is about farm policy. It's also making me very hungry. So we must wrap up this delightful. uh, I have to tell you, viewers, uh, if you have not tuned into our YouTube channel, please do so that you can watch Tom and Whitney be like the Waldorf and Stadler of of political (laughs) rants because it's glorious. Um, And we encourage our listeners to pick up what's the matter with Kansas and... Uh, the people know a brief history of anti-populism and Tom's other books and essays in which he rants even more delightfully than he has here today. And we will be linking to these in our show notes. And Tom, as always, three-time guest, Tom Frank. We so appreciate your joining us. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Sugi. And we're also going to congratulate you, Sugi, on your recent marriage. We're thrilled for you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast on Literary Hub. This show is produced by Ann Knigendorf. To subscribe to Fiction Nonfiction, please type fiction slash non slash fiction into your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear your ideas and feedback. You can reach us at fictionnonfictionpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at FNF Talk, on Facebook at FNF Pod, and on Instagram at fiction.nonfiction.podcast. In each of these places, you'll find links to our LitHub radio show notes, including some of the readings we mentioned in this episode. You can also find video versions of our episodes on our YouTube channel. 
Our website, with a full video and audio archive and episodes grouped by theme for educators, is at fnfpodcast.net. Until next time, stay safe and healthy out there.